this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 184 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of the state of the chief compliance officer. Welcome, everybody. Hope you're doing well, hanging in there, getting the vaccine, uh, staying safe and healthy, and uh, keeping busy. Um, I thought I would do, I'd like to do it once a year, uh, usually in the beginning part of the year, and sort of look at the state of the chief compliance officer in the profession since it's rapidly growing, changing, uh, and uh, increasing in importance in the corporate governance uh, world. So uh, before we do that, let's uh, hear from our sponsor, Steel Compliance. Steel Compliance is the global leader in compliance and ethics management. Steel's compliance and ethics platform is comprehensive, robust, and easy to use to promote a company's culture of compliance. Steel partners with the world's largest, most respected companies to deliver compliance products and services that help organizations embrace a culture of compliance while protecting their brand. Building an ethical culture is a complex undertaking that requires a detailed understanding of the global compliance environment, considerable time, and specialized expertise. Steel's end-to-end ethics and compliance platform is designed to provide compliance officers with the solutions they need to proactively address changing regulatory and reputational risks. Steel's ethics and compliance automated platform offers critical functions designed to promote a speak-up culture to advance employee engagement, reporting, and incident management, investigate promptly and fairly potential incidents to ensure compliance with your organization's code of conduct and applicable laws and regulations, including anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, antitrust, sanctions, cybersecurity, and data privacy. Manage your organization's compliance policies and procedures to ensure that policies are updated and disseminated effectively so that employees understand your organization's compliance requirements, Educate and engage your organization to promote understanding and how your compliance program applies to -to day-to-day operations. And evaluate and monitor your organization's business partners, vendors, suppliers, and customers to mitigate risk and ensure adherence to your organization's ethics and compliance requirements. To learn more about Steel's compliance solutions, please contact us at email steelglobal.com or call 415-692-5000. Okay, let's go back to uh, our state of the chief compliance officer. Like I said, I like to do this uh, once a year. And uh, the chief compliance officer position is continuing uh, to grow. Uh, There's a lot of sort of hiring and moving around going on with chief compliance officers. And I always like to look at the accomplishments and challenges that are coming. And, uh, you know, as we witness the continuing growth and stature of the CCO, uh, we also have to be mindful of pitfalls, uh, risks that are coming, and some troubling concerns that uh, are becoming apparent. Uh, While we also take stock of all the great contributions that CCOs do around uh, the world, uh, I'm a, as anyone knows who follows me, I'm an absolute uh, advocate for the CCO for its independence, authority, autonomy, and uh, access to resources. Uh, to carry out the important ethics and compliance function within every company. Well, we're going to have a new attorney general, and uh, obviously soon, uh, uh, Merrick Garland, uh, once he gets through uh, or he's on his way to uh, confirmation. 
And uh, the Biden administration is about to take uh, and has taken power. And chief compliance officers have to be mindful of their ever-increasing responsibilities uh, and their own personal and professional risks. Um, the Justice Department has forged a strong partnership with CCOs to assist in monitoring and preventing and ensuring uh, legal compliance by corporations. And I think in this new administration, DOJ expectations are going to increase even more so, and they're going to do so quickly. The debate over the CCO position versus the legal department, should they report to the chief legal officer or not, uh, is continuing. Um, in my view, it's sort of largely been decided, um, but there are troubling signs of sort of a retrenchment in this area. Uh, and it depends sometimes on the nature of the company, whether it's a large global company with a pretty robust compliance department, you tend to see more CCOs who report directly to this CEO. Smaller companies, mid-sized companies, let's say mid-caps, uh, you tend to see a CCO uh, who will have the same independence to report directly, let's say, to the board or anything like that, a, you know, dotted line relationship with the board or a board committee, uh, but they tend to be part of a legal department uh, but nonetheless uh, maintain some kind of independence outside of the legal department with the dotted line reporting relationship to the board. There's always exceptions to these rules, but the trend uh, you know, has been unmistakable over the last few years. Uh, studies uh, um, by PwC, uh, the Association of Corporate Counsel and Corpedia for years uh, would show, and the SCCE would show a steady drop in the numbers of CCOs who report to the general counsel and an increase in CCOs who are reporting to CEOs. Uh, but the recent ACC survey found that there was sort of a retrenchment in this area. Uh, an Ethisphere study of ethical companies shows that 75% are led by a professional with the title CECO, uh, I call him, Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer, and 44% report directly to the board and or the CEO. Only 28% report to the general counsel. Um, so this is an ongoing issue. Uh, it, when you see uh, CCO reporting to a general counsel in a smaller organization, that doesn't mean that it's wrong or whatever. Uh, they, it, a lot of times it depends on the personalities that are involved. But in general, as you get to the larger size and larger compliance operations, those have to be separated out. At some point, you hit a point where it's got to be separated out, uh, and they uh, report directly to the CCO reports directly to the CEO. Um, so we'll sort of look at, you know, where this is going. Um, I think ultimately there's going to be more and more independence. I don't think that legal is going to uh, maintain this position um, in terms of uh, where CCOs should be in the corporate governance organization. Now, CCOs are also gaining a seat at the business table. Ethisphere, for example, found that ethical companies usually ensure that they participate in strategic business decisions. This has been evident in CCO participation in supplier and procurement processes and mergers and acquisitions, and I remain hopeful that CCO ac access and participation increases and continues to increase in the next few years to include all senior business decisions and management processes. Remember, CCOs are one of the few 
corporate governance entities that sees across the organization, has a view, a line of sight across the organization, which is really critical. And if putting them at the business table is absolutely a great decision because that vision across the organization is important. It also leads to better planning and execution with regard to mergers, acquisitions, and integration processes as well. Now, there are new and, you know, significant issues on the horizon. Uh, to me, these issues threaten the success of the CCO, the ability to exercise his or her authority, and ultimately may require CCOs to face personal liability issues. Uh, and I want to highlight some of those issues. While I'm always an optimist, and believe me, I passionately support the CCO provi- uh, profession and its importance to ensuring effective ethics and compliance program performance, The future, though, is threatened with some real tangible risks for the profession. But let's not, before we go down that negative road there, let's not underestimate the accomplishments so far. Stature, strategic line of sight issues, reporting obligations, and pay uh, has actually increased are critical basic requirements that should help CCOs to develop even greater professionalism and opportunities. As a profession, compliance is still the go-to job for many professionals, especially as compliance develops into a multidisciplinary profession. I'm always mindful of the words from uh, Donna Bohm, who says, compliance professionals are subject matter experts, SMEs. So let's talk about uh, some troubling concerns after that sort of optimistic uh, review. Um, And we have to recognize that 2020 was a difficult and unusual year for CCOs given the panoply of risks, the disruption to every organization, and the devastating impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, CCOs were forced into a new environment where health and safety issues took preeminence, along with remote working arrangements, which are still with us, and those raised new risks that had to be addressed. CCOs played an important role Uh, in reassuring employees, shareholders, and other stakeholders in the community of the continuation of uh, the corporate operation, the importance of compliance, and those types of uh, reassuring type uh, issues. Uh, In response to the pandemic, and then uh, add that the racial justice issues that arose during 2020, CCOs had to uh, exercise even more responsibility for protecting the company's culture and responding to these two significant influences and issues. Diversity issues are now an important proper uh, priority for many organizations and the ultimate uh, organizational justice uh, issues that come up. The ability of CCOs to adapt will depend on the financial continuity of the organization, obviously. Unless a CCO was operating in a line of business that grew during the pandemic, CCOs faced a difficult situation when it came to resources and other aspects of their job responsibilities. And as we return to something normal, and I put that in quotes sometime in 2020, one, we will quickly observe continuing and important trends for CCOs. Now, one of my pet peeve issues, and I, I feel everybody's pain on this, is staffing and resources. And CCOs continue to cite a lack of support and resources as a major issue they have to address in their organization. This is a recurring trend, and the pandemic uh, obviously made the situation even more uh, difficult. 
in a recent survey, only 18% of responding CCOs reported a significant drop in their budget. CCOs at regulated companies continue to maintain budgets and resources, but are regularly denied needed increases to respond to evolving regulatory requirements or improve overall performance. With respect to anti-corruption compliance, a major risk for many international companies, only 41% of responding companies reported an increase in compliance budgets as opposed to 88% uh, of responding companies four years ago. The unmistakable trend in compliance is a budget slowdown with either flat budget levels or slightly diminishing funding levels. Many compliance organizations are lifted uh, by a corporate scandal or even a government investigation. CCOs, though, have to become and are becoming more adept at internal budget issues and political turf battles. The importance of a compliance function to a company is often reflected in the compliance budget. Whether resources and staff increase to improve functions and take advantage of technology innovations, a continuing complaint from CCOs is that they are being asked to do more with the same staff and budget. Now, CCOs also face a crisis, in my view, in independence, authority, and empowerment. While CCOs enjoy broad new responsibilities, the real test for CCOs is their ability to exercise that authority, uh, to have the autonomy that they need, and ultimately the authority to uh, stop a transaction, stop illegal behavior, uh, prevent even risky behavior because of the impact that could occur uh, with regard to a violation. There are frequent examples of cases in which CCOs are ignored or shut down when real questions are raised concerning compliance. It has almost come to be expected when reading enforcement actions, whether it's FCPA, OFAC sanctions, money laundering, antitrust or data privacy, compliance often raises concerns which are ignored or they are circumvented. The factual statements of these enforcement actions set out ways in which the organization circumvented or ignored compliance. Businesses have forgotten an important requirement for effective compliance. CCOs have to maintain independence and authority to prevent misconduct before it occurs. Unfortunately, many businesses forget this point, thinking that placing a CCO in the C-suite satisfies this requirement. In other words, the best kind of a CCO is the one that stays silent and defers to the business. A recent survey of compliance functions found that over 50% of reporting CCOs knew that the company was not following established anti-corruption compliance program requirements. That is devastating, and that is a troubling uh, number because it means that in many companies, compliance is a request, not a requirement. And the Justice Department has recognized this fundamental gap in CCO authority, perhaps in reaction to the 2020 enforcement actions and even 2019 that revealed the problem, compliance programs are implemented but lack independence, authority, and resources. In response, DOJ amended in July 2020 one of its three important guideline questions from its evaluation of corporate compliance programs. Specifically, the second question was amended to read and to add important language. Now the second question says, is the program being applied earnestly and in good faith? In other words, and this is the part that was new, is the program adequately resourced and empowered 
to function effectively. So notice the two points there. One, resources. Two, empowerment to function effectively. DOJ's inquiry focuses on those two issues. And I wonder out loud how many companies can answer that question affirmatively. The troubling trend in compliance is the extent to which compliance is empowered and independent. Will the company adhere to compliance requirements when faced with a lucrative business opportunity? In other words, would a company akin to Goldman Sachs put a stop to bribery when the misconduct, uh, if ignored, will result in business that will earn them significant revenues? Compliance cannot be a part-time requirement when convenient to the business. The real test comes when a company has to choose between compliance and lawful conduct. Unfortunately, many companies have failed the test, and CCOs have a responsibility in these cases to make sure that they exercise their authority and communicate to the company, the shareholders, senior management, and other stakeholders. Convenient compliance is not an option. All right, let's turn to the last issue, which is uh, often written about which is how do we deal with CCO liability and prosecutions? And I have always played down this issue, and I often dismiss these concerns because the reporting of CCO prosecutions uh, are usually exaggerated and meant to instill, instill fear in compliance professionals. In my simplistic approach, uh, I've followed the general rule of thumb. If you do something wrong, you pay the price. In a number of cases involving compliance officer prosecutions, the compliance professional engaged in obvious wrongdoing and deserved whatever sanction was meted out. After all, no one can argue that every compliance officer is an angel. So let's take the case of Meredith Simmons, a former general counsel of the patent licensing firm Acacia Research Corporation and chief compliance officer at Mason Capital. She was ordered by the SEC to pay a $25,000 penalty for backdating a compliance memorandum, making multiple inaccurate factual statements in the memo, and failing to produce all requested records to the SEC during its investigation. Ms. Simmons was barred for one year from practicing before the SEC and for three years from serving as a chief compliance officer in the securities industry. No one can dispute Uh, this enforcement action against Ms. Simmons. Let's look at another case involving Bonnie Haupt, H-A-U-P-T, the chief compliance officer at Gilder Gagnon Howe & Company, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. The SEC charged uh, GGHC, that's the uh, investment advisor, and CCO Haupt for failing to conduct reviews of its accounts for excessive commissions and trading as required under its policies and procedures. GGHC was initially cited for its compliance failures by FINRA in 2016. In response, they adopted policies and procedures to conduct monthly reviews of its accounts through its CCO to examine certain issues and escalated any cited accounts for further review. GGHC and and the CCO failed to conduct any reviews as required under its policies and procedures. In fact, The CCO submitted monthly reports to the SEC during an examination that she had altered to give the false impression that she contemporaneously reviewed them. GGHC paid a fine of $1.7 million and was censured. Hopped paid a penalty of $45,000 and was censured. 
Again, no one should quibble with this enforcement action. The penalty appears commensurate with the misconduct. So I've described these cases to exclude from discussion those situations where gatekeepers engage in unquestioned misconduct and then alter documents, mislead regulators. Frankly, each of these examples could have resulted in criminal prosecutions. But there's another trend here where I do have concerns with regard to putting uh, CCOs on the line. And I would call that uh, these reg- there's a growing movement to require regulatory certifications. And we have examples of a growing trend by regulatory agencies requiring certifications from responsible persons in compliance. Let me cite a few. The New York Department of Financial Services uh, requires regulated companies to file an annual cybersecurity compliance certification and an annual Bank Secrecy Act and anti-money laundering certification. HHS, OIG, Corporate Integrity Agreements. The CIAs require subject organizations to file certifications of compliance with the CIA. These certifications are often required from the board, individual board members, and an officer of the organization. Regulators are now imposing these certification requirements for a variety of reasons, but they're seeking accountability and responsibility. In Sarbanes-Oxley, Congress crafted massive reforms to the audit industry and imposed specific requirements for the CEO and CFO to certify to the accuracy of the company's financial reports. A certification that includes reports that are false and misleading can result in a criminal prosecution of the CEO and CFO. So as regulators and Congress have embraced the value of corporate certifications of compliance, we can expect that future regulatory or legislative reforms will increase the number of required certifications. In response to a new scandal, whatever it may be, Congress will seek a new solution to remedy the alleged causes of corporate misdeeds. In other words, Congress will seek a new magic bullet. But Congress will not have to look very far, and the Biden administration will be happy to help identify the new remedial response. The government will begin by elevating the importance of ethics and compliance programs by mandating design and implementation requirements and enforcing those requirements through certifications. Congress will then create separate enforcement schemes for these requirements and the certification processes. And to draft this legislation, Congress can quickly turn to DOJ's guidance, regulatory requirements, and the U.S. sentencing guidelines. What appears to be mandated in general requirements through incentives, guidance, and New York Stock Exchange, let's say, listing requirements, will quickly turn into mandatory ethics and compliance programs and elements. Of course, the drafting of this legislation will have to take into account the size of an organization, the industry, and other requirements. But who will be responsible for compliance with these new requirements? You guessed it, CCOs. Who will be accountable for these requirements? You guessed it, CCOs. They already play a significant role in partnership with law enforcement, and as regulatory requirements increase, the government is going to impose even more regulatory requirements, accountability from CCOs. But with that increased role, the possibility of government prosecution rises. And CCOs will be expected to ensure compliance with specific requirements, possibly even certifying compliance with legal requirements. 
Once they do so, CCOs will have a target on their backs and they will be on prosecutors' radar screens because if there's a deficiency, why didn't the why did the CCO certify compliance with the overall compliance program? The implications of this development is really far-reaching. CCOs already have responsibilities that flow from their independence and empowerment and a dotted line to the board when necessary once a career to report uh, a big issue. But if you add in a layer of government certifications and reporting responsibilities, the potential personal risks for liability uh, multiply exponentially. Well, that's, uh, and I, I hate to end on such a negative note, but uh, that's sort of the state of play of the CCOs this year. Let's watch for some of these trends. Uh, let's hope budgets increase. Let's hope uh, authority and empowerment uh, increases as well, and that CCOs can play the active role and make the real contributions uh, that companies need to detect and prevent violations and to advance an ethical culture thanks uh thanks again stay safe stay healthy and uh, we'll see you next week thanks again for listening to corruption crime and compliance please subscribe to the podcast series the volkov law group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com.